Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of MGR Unplugged, brought to you by MGR Agency. Um, we need to be talking again about the uh, coronavirus, but this time, instead of focusing so much on the uh, number of cases and deaths and all that, we're going to try to look forward, look ahead, and see what we project to happen in the next, um, you know, like two, three, four months on the road. Basically, we're going to focus more on how we think this will um, affect the second half of the year. So I know that everybody is now embedded in news and social media and all kinds of information and overwhelmed with the bad news about the coronavirus. But um, I think uh, what I'd like to do is start thinking forward a little bit and uh, kind of pretend that we're way past this thing and then see how we are the post-coronavirus um, economy and life and everything, which again, it could be, you know, come the summer or second half of the year and see what we can learn from this and um, how our life will be impacted either in a good way or in a bad way. But we're going to try to discuss those topics. So um, let's just get started. None of you people can tell me to stop. Lower the lights down. Hand over my crown. Hand over my heart. I do this for my town. I do this for my crowd. So turn me up real loud. My time. My time. None of you people can tell me to stop. All right. Welcome back to... Uh... MGR Unplugged. So um, David is with me as always, and we actually, I mean, we're in pretty much in a voluntary quarantine here at the office too. Um, we're in Arizona. We officially don't have any restrictions as far as mobility or anything, other than the uh, social distance that we're definitely playing. But we we try to minimize um, outside contact and play a role as I, well. I wash my hands right before the podcast, yeah, just to be clear. I wash it like all the time. But aside from that, I think I think one of the key things that we need to uh, uh, understand is that it's, it's going to take common effort for all of us to kind of play a role. And I'll say, oh, we're exempt. Or oh, we're in Arizona. We are going out restaurants. And, and just until last weekend, I was driving around and I see everybody's going out with their lives like nothing happens except for the grocery stores where basically the shelves are half empty. But um, I think, um, as I said before, I want to kind of start discussing a little bit how we think this will change or shape up our economy in the second half of the year. Obviously, the first half, everybody's kind of like just running it off and saying, okay, wait, it's fucked up. There's nothing we can do in a lot of industries. I mean, I don't think there's a single sector that is saving from this or saved from this type of uh, economy. I uh, think maybe there's a couple, but not much. The only ones would be the ones that uh, directly benefit. So a cleaning supplies company or... But for the majority, yeah. I mean, there's just not a lot of... Yeah, I mean, everybody's obviously affected. Even if it's not up the professional level or the... Um, at the um, uh, I mean, even in, in the markets, we have the chart up behind us and it's like... The market's been crazy, there's, yeah. There's no, there's no safe space. There's right. The stocks are down. Bonds are down. Right. Gold is down. There's there's nothing Crypto's safe. down. Everything is down because it's like... It's something that we've never experienced before. I mean, we're, we're talking about you know, uh, the Great Recession 11 years ago, and before that it was different um, minor or not so relevant pandemics, and then we had the 9-11 and all kinds of things. But this is this feels different for some reason. It just feels more global. It feels more oh, it, uh, sudden. Like, yeah, it's definitely bigger than 9-11, because 9-11 was a shock, but it was very short-term. It was like, okay, it happened. 
right let's move on and right now be- it's not like you can just say oh let's move on no we we're gonna be like this for another eight weeks probably i, I think i think i'm getting back into why we are where we are now is i think we were all in denial a little bit and again this is not much of a political discussion but uh i think if we had acted and when i say we i don't mean the u.s i mean the entire world uh if we had all acted faster this would have been much much less uh, or the effect would have been much much less than what we have right now, and and again we we kind of saw whatever whether China revealed the information ahead of time or not enough time or whatever. That's one thing. But then once we knew about it, Europeans basically also started being affected first. Well, I was and- gonna say the funny part is, or not funny, but the the truth is, it really didn't matter what government or what healthcare system countries had, whether it was many European countries who are lauded for their socialized healthcare, amazing benefits, all of that. They totally failed in their response. The US, which doesn't have socialized healthcare, totally failed in our response. It seems like it didn't matter the government or the healthcare system. Everybody but it, failed. Because it's not a, a matter of care. It's actually a matter of prevention and anticipation. Right. So when they have information, they should have said, this could potentially be serious. Let's quarantine and all this. It, it is proven basically that uh, social distance works because the 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 the, the, the right the way Obviously. this virus spreads is basically is exponential, which means that the more you cut the interaction with people, close interaction and and con- contagion and everything else, the faster you. Or the, the goal is to make the curve that right now is like this, and I'm doing it backwards so the camera looks, but uh, it's basically exponentially growing. But today you have two, cars, two cases, and then tomorrow four, eight, 16, 32, and it doubles basically every time. So when you get to 1,000, 2,000, 4,000, and then you start to higher numbers, it's easy to see how really you can go one day from 100,000 to 200,000 and then 400, and before you do, you realize you have a million cases in the world. Right, well, that's like, you know, in South Korea, they were doing a reverse tracing back of where these cases came from. And I think it was the 31st person in the country. Yeah, that was the multiplier. Gave it to... 1100 people right they went to church they went to a mall they went basically to a bunch of public places right didn't even know they had it right gave it to 1100 people one person and that's why there's the the email that we sent last week it had a a lot of charts and graphics i'm not sure people had a chance to see it but uh, i was actually looking at it this morning again and and it's critical how if you just prevent one day of spread it has tremendous implications. If you if you go back from, uh, you know, moving from 500,000 cases worldwide and exponentially the following day, you can have basically a million cases on the day after 2 million cases on the day after 4 million cases. So if you just back off one, two days or from the spread, that actually makes it like a huge difference. You have millions of less or fewer cases implied. So that's what you hear when people are trying to flatten the curve. Right now, everything you see is like, wow, it's growing up like super fast. And for the first time, China just reported that they had no new cases. Whether you believe it or not, it's a different story. But they reported no new cases because Do they are Do you believe like, it? Uh, I, I think... None? I mean... I believe that their cases are going down, but I mean, to have zero... Well, remember, we're talking reported cases. I mean, there could be somebody that has it. They don't know it. They haven't been tested. I so know, obviously, but... but that's happening here too. So so when you look at um, um, reported cases, they said, okay, for the first time, we don't have any new cases. And China has been fighting this for now three months at least. So 
we are now like uh, probably I'd say six to eight weeks behind China as far as what they did. Uh, obviously, yeah. like the example of Korea, Taiwan did also a very good job. Um, Europe is now in worse shape. I mean, Italy just surpassed uh, number. Yeah, of deaths. Italy today now has more deaths than China did. Correct, and then Spain is in, in pretty bad shape. But obviously, They're, for Italy. Italy is what one fifty uh, million people. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, I was gonna a, say a, fifty a, million people compared to one point two billion. Yeah. three. Yeah, so yeah. it's a so, much so, bigger impact. So, but the point is again, we're going to the curve, and the curve is growing so fast that it's overwhelming the system. It's overwhelming everything. Uh, the healthcare systems. I don't care which one you have. Like you said, is not capable of me uh, handling so many patients at once, and thus. You know, even if it's only 20% of the cases are hospitalized, and then from that 20%, 5% go to an ICU, to an intensive care unit, and then from those, maybe 1% require very intensive care, meaning ventilators and things like that. 1% of a million is a lot of people. I mean, the U.S. has like a thousand ventilators, something I, I, I read over there, or 1,500, and, and, and that's going to be overwhelmed completely because we're not used to this kind of rush hour traffic in an emergency room so that's the key point on flattening the curve when you make it flat basically you spread the 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 cases over longer time instead of having everybody you know co converging into a, a two or three week period which overwhelms the system uh, you, you spread it then you have things that are more manageable I, I always compare it to like rush hour everybody's going to work from seven to nine o'clock in the morning and the, and the free worst cannot handle it they're all stuck there now if you spread out then obviously that the free was able to handle the traffic so um and at the same time when you spread it then it becomes more like the flu and things like that you you allow people to um uh or the healthcare system and researchers and labs and everything to come up with a vaccine and then everything is more under control and then it's a known entity and you just control it so, so with, let's talk about the economic impacts right we have a little bit of differing opinions on not that what's going to happen now obviously what's happening now is undeniable uh, right everything's shutting down business impacted the question more and nobody knows we're going to give our opinions and you know lots of people have their guesses but at the end of the day it's just guesses of number one how soon do we, uh, that I definitely don't have an answer to because I'm not an epidemiologist, how soon do things start reopening up? It looks like maybe within six to eight weeks that could happen. I don't know. Uh, right now, what, it's mid-March, so maybe by early June, mid-June, we could start seeing it happen. We'll see. But then, but beyond that, let's say, you know, worst case scenario, it takes until like July, August, like maybe, like some people are saying, to reopen everything. Okay. What is the economic rebound from that? And I'll let you go first of what you think is going to happen, and then I'll kind of well, make I my mean, opinion. I, I, you know, uh, there's a lot of things that are happening at the same time, and uh, and obviously it's not like you can say a global economic rebound because we we have a lot of different countries with different economic situations. Even even Europe compared to the U.S. is a huge difference because, in my opinion. I don't think Europe ever recovered from the recession that we had 10 years ago. No, they didn't. Uh, they were not fully recovered. A lot of countries and the European Central Bank were still uh, in a kind of uh, rebuilding mode for some of the countries. They had the Greek uh, crisis a few years ago, Italy, Portugal. Spain was recovering maybe a little faster, uh, which now is going to be killed because Spain is primarily a tourist country and now with no tourism. Italy too. Yeah, exactly. And so Italy already had their... They were almost already in a banking crisis, right? And right. now this is going to put them so. Over the so edge. I cannot say how the the world will recover or how fast, but I, I do believe, at least in the U.S., 
Um, the economy was doing fine. That was probably one of the things that was going fine. Uh, unemployment was at all-time low. Um, stock market was at record highs <coughs> all the time. It was like almost 29,000 uh, unchanged, you know, before this happened. And that was the uh, the claim to fame for uh, for Trump. So all that stuff, all that's out the window now. But my feeling is that it's not for financial reasons. Like when you compare this to other crises, whether it's or, or other economic um, repercussions, you know, or crisis like uh, like the dot com or or any other even pandemics like we had with the H H one N one or even the the Great Recession ten, eleven years ago now. Those were financial bubbles and, and that affected basically the system just collapsed. The, the the financial system collapsed and it had to be bailed out. The government had to bail out the banks, which is basically the where the money comes from was not there anymore. Money evaporated, basically, didn't exist. In this case, it's different. In this case, I think the financial system is strong. Employment was strong. Uh, um, the economy was strong. I mean, uh, companies were reporting uh, record profits. I mean, I think the last quarter, the S&P reported like 60 or 70% of the companies were having uh, uh, above expectation profits, and that's why the market was responding. Now, this came to a screeching halt because of the crisis, but my feeling is that now people are at home because they are in a quarantine mode. Uh, we're not that much in the U.S., even though we are starting to be, and I think we should. I think the whole country should be shut down just like a, like they've done in Europe because, again, that's part of the uh, flooding the curve um, option. But basically, there's no flies or flights. There's no vacations. Hotels I wish, I wish are, there are no flies. That would be yeah, nice. There are minimal. I mean, people are, are not flying unless they absolutely have to. Uh, but airlines are basically in bad shape. Uh, travel, transportation, anything that is hospitality is in poor shape. I mean, all the hotels, hotels are shutting down. They're closing. They don't have reservations. They can't really uh, guarantee safety or anything. And sometimes they are mandated to close. So, so but The challenge all this, for hotels too, especially in airlines too, is that they don't even know when people are going to be able to travel again. Right. So it's not like they can say, all right, spring is off, but then we're going to heavily push our summer offers. Right. They don't even know if they can have summer offers. Right. They're, they're, everybody's in limbo now because they don't know when they can start promoting offers for when, you know, because right. we don't know how long it's going to last. So, But my point is that this kind of uh, reclusion or basically being in, in the houses for people, especially for the American economy that we like to socialize, we like to go out, we like to go to restaurants, shopping. I mean, we are 70% of the economy in the U.S. is a consumer economy. Basically, we consume and that's how the companies progress. So when that stops, and it's not because of financial situations, it's because of this quarantine that we have now, I believe that the recovery will be faster. And the reason for that is that, and there's other side effects. Like When you unless, say faster, how fast? Well, I mean, that I, I cannot predict, but it's not going to be like, like the recession that took years to get back to the level that we like, were before. Do you think that, let's say, this next year or this time, March next year, do you think we'll be back uh, no, obviously, we're not going to get back to the place we were before, but I think we'll be back to pretty much normal life. Keep in mind also that it's an election year in the U.S., and that could make a few changes too, depending on whether Trump is reelected or yeah. Biden uh, or the Democrats take over and things yeah, like definitely. that. But when you add the fact that the government and the, and the Fed and basically any financial institution is pouring money into the economy now. It's making loans. I mean, interest rate was just slashed to zero, 0 0.25 um, just last week, I think it was, on Friday. Um, so now the, the, the economic conditions are so consumer-friendly. 
And add to that the fact that consumers are actually not spending money because uh, unless obviously we get into situations where people start losing their jobs, which will happen, that people start being being laid off or 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 uh, you know, I mean, the government is increasing unemployment insurance and all that stuff, but. Before that happens, people are now staying home for a long time. Some people are even forced to take vacation days and things like that without actually going on vacation, meaning they're not spending the money. So a lot of people are going to have more money in their pockets now than they had before because they're just not going out to dinner, not going, going out to, you know, weekend getaways, or they're not going out to, uh, uh, you know, flights, whatever. So, and, and all they're doing is going out to a supermarket, buy food and come home and stay home and watch TV. So that's extra money in your pocket that you're going to have for whenever this is over. I, I believe when, when, let's say two, three months, let's say that we go over the curve and then we say, okay, we're, we have this under control now. We are in a situation where we're not growing exponentially and now we have the, the curve more or less under control and they start loosening the situation and they allow hotels to start basically making reservations, hotels, I mean, uh, restaurants to allow, uh, you know, patrons to come and everything, shopping malls start being crowded again. People are going to go out like Nest and P just to spend all the money to consume and everything. Whereas before, because it was a financial crisis, people still were recovering. It was just something that it was like, okay, yeah, well, if I'm lucky to still have my job, then I need to, um, my credit card, my house is upside down. I need to get another mortgage. I need to declare bankruptcy, whatever. I mean, a lot of people were in dire stress financially. I don't think people are going to be in dire stress financially just yet. Uh, so, and companies will start recovering. Companies are going to go through very, very difficult situation now because it's a global pandemic. It's a global situation where I don't care which industry, everybody's lowering expectations. But again, it's pending on people just basically shut down in their, in their houses, which affects everything. But once that recovers, I think the economy itself will recover much faster than it did before. That's my thing. Whether it's a V-shape or a U-shape or, or something like that, I don't think it's going to be a linear recovery. I think it'll recover faster. And you can see the market. I mean, the market is reacting to every little detail. When you have, um, I mean, look at last week, we had a record up and a record down back to back. Basically, the moment the market hears some remotely good news, investors just jump in because they want to, they don't want to miss out. And the market went up almost 3,000 points. I think it was last Friday based on a press conference saying, okay, President Trump said we're now taking this seriously for the first time. Okay. And then the day after on Monday, it went like down another, you know, uh, 2,000 or 2,500 points. So I can see that the market and investors are just waiting for good news to go and to react. And it's been zigzagging for the last two weeks. And I believe that once we have this under control and it starts being more contained, I think the recovery will be faster. Uh, that's, that's basically my opinion. Okay. My turn? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So I'm going to get into a little bit of uh, complex things that if you don't follow the markets closely, uh, for people listening, uh, you probably might not fully understand, but I'm going to try to simplify things as much as possible. Okay. I do think, unfortunately, this is a financial crisis. It's not a banking crisis. It is not a banking crisis. So let me be clear right now. It's not, do not, I do not think any, like in the last crisis, it was the worry of like, oh my God, these banks are going to fail and people's money is going to be gone. No, 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 no. That's not going to happen. I don't think banks are going to fail. So it's not a banking crisis, but it is a financial crisis. And here's why. Okay, so number one, uh, I wanted to show something. I, I wanted to, sh there's, there's, a, there's multiple factors going on right now. And I think that, 
basically I'll tell you where I've been. So for the past, I don't know, 12, 18 months, I personally in my, and this is before we get into this, just so we're clear, anybody listening, this is not financial advice. (laughs) Anything we say on here, uh, is we're not financial experts. Talk to your financial advisor. These are our own opinions. Okay. So what I've personally been doing for the last 18 months is pretty much hoarding cash. I have not owned a lot of stocks. I have not been investing a lot because I knew that something was coming because I saw the signs of something bad happening. And I didn't think it would happen so soon. My bet, and I think we've discussed this in the past, actually, I think on the podcast was that nothing was going to happen pre-election because Trump was going to do everything he could. And a lot of people have said this, and he obviously has been doing everything he could to prop the markets up so that he gets reelected. But that after he got reelected, that he wouldn't be able to, you can't sustain it forever, right? And so now, obviously, I can't predict pandemic, neither could Trump. Uh, and so that's why all of this has happened now. So I didn't think it would happen this soon, but now it's happened. And what I think this pandemic has caused. So just to clarify your point, you're thinking that the pandemic has only accelerated something that yes. you think was going to happen. So there. I thought this was going to happen in the next year and a half, two years, but it's happening now. Um, and that is basically that we are, and I'm going to get into the specific catalysts and reasons why I think this and why there's so many things happening at once that are not just the coronavirus that are causing this, that were kind of under the surface a little bit. And as like the famous, uh, Warren Buffett thing says, you know, when the, when the tide pulls back, you find out who's naked or mm-hmm. whatever, who's swimming naked. You ever heard that? Yeah. Yeah. I heard that. I'm not sure if he was Warren Buffett, but I think somebody- he says it all the time. I don't know who says it, but it's like in the, in the same way that, uh, a rise, a rising tide raises all boats. Well, the opposite is happening now. There's a lot of beached boats right now. Um, uh, a lot of beached whales. And so basically, uh, there's a lot of things that were happening. So number one, uh, the fed for the last few years has not done its job because what it should have done in good times, as many have said, and these are these are my opinions, but these are shared opinions of a lot of other people, is that w- the Fed did not raise interest rates like they should have. In fact, they raised them only to a certain point, and then they cut them, and now we're all the way down to zero. My friends, in the last recession, we didn't even go to zero. We only went down to 1%. The U.S. has never been down to zero, at least not in modern times. I don't know what happened 150 years ago. But in modern times, the U.S. has never had 0% interest rates. Never. So we're very much in uncharted territories right now. And if we go negative, I really have no idea what's going to happen. The Fed also has not been consolidating its balance sheet like it should have been. That's why you consolidate your balance sheet that so that when you need to spend $2 trillion like the government is doing right now, you can afford it. Right now, they haven't been doing that. So now the Fed is going to add hundreds of billions to its balance sheet. Congress is going to spend probably $2 trillion plus dollars. We don't know yet. So there's just a lot of uncertainty on that end. I don't know what all of the measures are going to be. Obviously, they've announced a million different stimulus packages already. Uh, so I don't know exactly what all of them are going to be. They're talking about giving just $1,000 checks to everybody. I don't know how that's going to work. I can't predict that. Um, well, they said, I'm not sure if he's being approved today or not because we're not watching the news, but just to give you... We're recording they, this on a Thursday. This probably will come out tomorrow right, or Friday. So, right. so they were talking about um, like a basic income, like UBI type thing. Yeah. Uh, to um, every American, uh, and they actually said maybe two packages, one immediate, like in April, $1,000 for, every, obviously it depends on income and all that stuff, I know the little fine print will come later, but basically 
$1,000 for every American in the first month, and then in May, another possibly another check of another $1,000, something like that. So that's basically a stimulus, which basically is, like you said, it's going to cost a lot of money. Yeah. So basically, the Fed has not been responsible um, in monetary policy. And, and it's not just the Fed. All the central banks of all, of all the world have, not, have been completely irresponsible for years, and now it's finally catching up to them. The metaphor that I always like to use uh, that I think clarifies it a little bit in people's eyes is it's kind of like if you have a neighbor who all of a sudden one day you see has a really nice car in their driveway is wearing all these nice clothes fancy watch all this stuff and you're thinking man that guy must be doing really well what's my neighbor doing how is he affording all those things but what you don't know is that he's just going into mountains of debt and that he can't actually afford it but that for a short period of time maybe for a couple of years he can kind of fake this lifestyle drive a fancy car fancy watch buy a bigger house he can't afford do all those things that is what all of the central banks around the world have been doing. So it looks like the economy's been great. Uh, you know, Trump has been saying the economy is great. It's tremendous. It's never been better. That was a terrible Trump accent. I'm sorry. <laughs> I have a terrible. I'm sorry. That was terrible. Uh, tremendous. <laughs> it's tremendous. It, make America great again. That's terrible. It almost sounds a little British. But anyways, so no, the, the economy has not been so great. It's that it's been pumped like well, nobody's but, but, business but also been, like the the stock buy box i mean yeah and i was going to get into that in okay, one second well, I'll let you do that this is why and i'm going to say for, first of all if we bail out casinos and bail out cruises i'm going to or airlines for fucking give up my citizenship to the united states because that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard bailing out casinos why on earth what are we talking yeah, about? So people here? can go back and spend their money yeah, their thousand dollar check from the government here? go back to a casino and play uh, so um this is why you shouldn't bail any of those companies out. Carnival Cruises, sorry, you were completely irresponsible. You deserve to go down, okay? First of all, who goes on a cruise? We've discussed this. It's <laughs> disgusting. I would never step on a cruise in my fucking life. But you deserve to go down because you've been completely irresponsible. American Airlines, same thing, completely irresponsible. We should not bail out the airlines. And I'll tell you why. And this is, we can clip this and we can have a little discussion about why you should not bail out airlines. Because, let's put it this way. In 2007, American Airlines had $500 million in profit for the year, okay? Last year, they had over $5 billion in profits. That's a 10x increase. They have less cash in the bank now than they did in 2007, despite making 10 times more profit. And you ask, where did all that money go? What have they been doing? How do you possibly make 10x the amount of money and still have less savings? Because they were buying back their stock. They were giving ridiculous executive compensation, paying their exec team a ridiculous amount of money, buying back billions of stock to prop their price up. Why have all these companies been going up and up and up? It's not because there's been so much demand or that because earnings have quadrupled for all the companies in the last four years. That's not why the stock market has quadrupled. It's because they've been buying back their well, own I mean, shares. It's a little bit of a chain reaction too because when, when one company does it, then the other company says, shoot, we're not going to be left behind. Why is American Airlines doing but it that's and not Delta such and not this and that? short-term thinking. Yeah, exactly. If and we're going to bail out American Airlines, this is, the, this is under the... Any company that gets bailed out, and it's funny, actually, Mark Cuban, I think, tweeted this yesterday and I was in 
total agreement. This is what I was saying the other day, that if any company receives a bailout, they are barred for life from ever buying back a single share of stock. You are no longer allowed to do that. Or executive compensation. And executive, if, if we bail out American Airlines, three years, uh, no executive compensation. They're never allowed to buy back a single share of stock. Oh, and we're going to break them up because they've been buying all these other companies. Merchant, and, yeah. and that's why they've been more profitable. And they haven't, if, if they had, there's nothing wrong with acquiring in, in, in uh, strengthening your market position. That's just business. Every company does absolutely nothing wrong with that. I'm not one of these antitrust people who wants to break up every company. But if you're American Airlines and you've been building up a pseudo monopoly in the United States, but then on top of that, you, and to where you've been able to 10x your profits, bravo. If you have 10x your profits, you should be able to have plenty of cash in the bank to sustain a situation like we're going through right now mm -hmm. so that you can go six, eight weeks without making money and be fine. How can we tell Americans to have six months of savings when our biggest corporations don't even have that? Yeah, that's that's the funny thing that we're always, you always hear, oh, we'll have this uh, emergency fund and exactly. this and that for bad times, six months, three times your salary, four times your salary, whatever. And then it's like, okay, well, what happens to the companies? I can have my emergency fund, but no company has emergency right. fund now. All of a sudden, it's like two weeks of uh, confinement and they are all broke. And the other, the other argument for bailing out the airlines is that, oh, well, they're essential to the economy. True. The planes and the infrastructure is essential to the economy. But here's something that I think is pretty obvious. Just because American Airlines disappears doesn't mean all their fleet does, doesn't mean all their hangars do, doesn't mean all the engineers who worked on their planes do. Those assets will be bought by new companies and better operators who will realize, oh, we have to be we have we have a fiduciary responsibility here to make sure that we don't go in the same situation as American Airlines. So if their planes get sold for the cheap for uh, 20 cents on the dollar to better companies who have cash holdings who can afford it, then good. Because I want the American economy infrastructure that is the airline industry to be in the hands of responsible operators, not executives who are completely out of control and have been asleep at the wheel. I was even thinking that maybe we should have a military uh, pilots just fly the planes. Just fire everybody, let everybody in America or less. Well, no, or I don't airline. want state-controlled airlines. <laughs> no, no, That's just, not what just, I'm saying. No, I know, but just saying, okay, you, you, you guys can operate have, these airlines. We just kind of have military you, pilots just You flying. cannot have capitalism in good times and then socialism in bad times, especially for the, these big companies. Okay, why is it that we're so anti-socialist in America, but then when it comes to bailing out big companies, we yeah. have absolutely no problem. You have to let them fail or else they will never learn. They'll just do it again. Because if you bail them out, because when you say bail them out, that's our money. They're getting our money. And then they're going to go back doing the same thing that they were doing, raising rates, charging all these ticky tacky fees. Oh, an extra bag, well, 50 bucks. Time. Oh, snacks, 20 bucks. It's that's like, what that's what happened. That's uh, At the end of the day, consumers end up paying the bill. Yes. Whatever is yes. in tax. In tax revenue for the for the uh, uh, government, which the government then returns to give it to the airlines or any any company that's bailing out, or by consumers paying. You remember it was after basically uh, the last recession and especially 9/11, all that stuff that we started um, getting all these ticky tacky charges like, oh, you want a pillow, this money, you yes, want a drink, this money, you want a second bag, this money, you want this. Everything and guess was what? charged. It's worked really well. 
they right. they they've ten x their profits well, in exactly. ten years. They have the same number of flyers approximately, but it, now we have exponential revenue because everything is charged. So they've ten x their profits and they have less money in the bank. Literally, imagine if you're a person out there and you work your ass off and you go from making a fifty thousand salary and then you quit, start your own company, and now you're making five hundred thousand a year. But imagine you are so reckless with your spending that you have less money in the bank than when you were making 50. That's what American Airlines so, has so, done. So sorry. So to get back to why I think that this is a financial crisis is that you have all these companies, and American Airlines is not the only one. I'm just picking on them because they've been one of the worst actors. But this has happened across the board. You have all these companies that have been buying back their stock for years. So, so they don't have the cash in the bank. But before we get into the recovery, um, we're talking bailouts. So from all the companies that the government is, or they're requesting bailouts, and then the oh, government is considering. the auto manufacturers too? Right. You which, just got bailed out. We're not bailing you out again. Are you kidding industry me? industry? do you think is more deserving of a bailout given the situation that they didn't plan for or wasn't expected versus which company do you think have the ones the who deserve a bailout is the small businesses and the ones who uh, basically have not had this cushy 10 years okay it's been a great 10 years to be a big corporation but small businesses it's been good but it hasn't been great and so if you're a local restaurant if you're a local company who doesn't have the savings who's just trying to get off the ground say you started within the last few years and it takes time to build a business those are the ones who deserve a bailout because that's the lifeblood of the economy not these big companies that give their executives 50 million in bonuses every year and it's like why are we bailing them out how about the uh um, um, hotels, big hotel chains like the Marriotts, the uh, Hiltons, and all that stuff. Marriott, no, because Marriott is majorly Chinese owned. If they want to get bailed out, China can bail them out. Um, other hotels, it, it's a very dependent basis. Independent hotels, there's an argument to be made. Uh, I'm really curious what's going to happen with Airbnb. They were planning on going public this year. Uh, I well, don't think that's I don't happening think, now. I don't think they're going to go public, but they already have an issue. Well, they with, were planning uh, on it. Well, yeah, they were going. They were planning. I'm not sure if that's going to happen now or not. I Probably not. I don't know. Depending, I mean, with the market status right now, yeah. it would be kind of silly because they had the highest valuation and now it's not going to happen. But the other thing that has happened to Airbnb, as, as you probably know, is that obviously they had cancellations like everybody else like all the hotels, yeah. and Airbnb has said to the cancellations that they will refund them 100%. However, the hosts are now complaining because nobody's paying them. Yeah. So uh, all Airbnb is based on hosts just well, basically renting their house, apartments, rooms, whatever, and they spend money also preparing, cleaning, and all that stuff for new, for new reservations. The money has to come from somewhere. So right. the hosts... I mean, yeah, it sucks, but you know what? That's kind of the business you're in. It's no different than hotel owners who are basically like mega hosts. If you think about it, they're hurting too. But the, but there's there's conditions when you cancel within a certain time frame, and then if I'm a host and I just um, it's one of my tenants or guests just left, and I had to clean the apartment, clean the house, whatever, do all the maintenance to accept a new host, a new a new guest, and that guest doesn't come because now Airbnb is allowing them to cancel with zero cancellation fees. Them. I still spend my money, you know, preparing the apartment for that person that is coming. And normally you have a cancellation fee that you get, but now Airbnb is not honoring that. They're basically freeing up the guests without taking care of the hosts, basically. So there's a little um, uh, situation there with the host now being upset. But I mean, it's just, uh, I mean, this is something that is also. No one's going to be happy. You either piss off right. your customers or piss off your exactly. hosts. Exactly. And, and they is... opted, which I think 
was the right move for the customers because at the end of the day, if you don't have customers, you don't have hosts anyways. Right. So that's why they did it. Obviously, the hosts are upset too because they 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 have a system. I mean, a lot of people use this as their own business model. They have two, three apartments or something. They're renting continuously and then, you know, they make 40, 50 grand a year just by the rental. So that's affecting that because that's the whole lifeblood as far as money. You know, when Airbnb or any hotel cancels and you don't have guests, then obviously your your money goes down. But for people that are individuals that are basically, that's their source of income. They are in the rental Airbnb business or whatever, and then nobody comes, then they lose that kind of money. So it, it, the thing is that this is something that people were not ready for, companies were not ready for, and it's affecting everybody so much across the board that it's a unique situation. We understand how companies maybe were not ready for this situation, you know. So, so back to your economy. Okay. So back to my, uh, we went on a little tangent there, but back to my... Uh, reasoning. So uh, there's kind of three or four major catalysts that are all happening at once, and they're not necessarily all related, but they're all happening. So number one, and this is why I said this is a financial recession, is leverage. Okay, uh, funds have been levered up like they've never been before. We, we what caused the crisis in 2008 was that you had these synthetic CDOs, which was basically leverage on leverage on leverage, okay? That's been happening again. It hasn't been happening on mortgage-backed securities like it was in 2008, but it has been happening on stocks. It's been happening on bonds. It's been happening all over the place. And that's why you saw stocks and bonds and gold fall in the same day, which never happens. It's because of leverage, and here's why. So basically, let me pull up a gold chart real quick. I wanted to pull this up because this is, type in uh, IAU one second for me, the ticker symbol IAU. Uh, uh, here we go. Okay, so this is a gold ETF, but basically let me pull up the uh, one month chart here. Okay, so gold in all of this downfall is down 8.2% and has had significant drops in the last few weeks. They had a single day drop, gold did, of four percent four percent gold is not volatile like socks okay gold dropping four percent is like the market going down 40 percent in one day just so everyone is clear that that doesn't happen a one two percent move in gold is massive because keep in mind this is a seven trillion plus dollar uh market in one single commodity so that's why it doesn't move like stocks a stock can move you know the biggest stock in the world apple is still or you know we have a trillion dollar company like apple microsoft not anymore yeah well we'll see but uh and so gold is a seven trillion plus dollar market so for it to move four percent in one day is massive okay um and so why does gold drop 4% on the same day that stocks drop 10, 12% like it did last week? That never happens. That doesn't make sense at all because gold is where people run to in times like this. Well, here's why. Because all of these funds had leverage. And so what they were doing is basically, it's very hard if you are a fund to get a uh, 15% annual return. But what you can do is get a 1.5% annual return and then 10x leverage. That's what they were doing. And so, but on the downside, you have these funds where if the stocks drop 10% like they did, 
What's 10% times 10x leverage? That's 100%. You could get wiped out in a day if you have that type of leverage. And that's exactly what was happening. So all of a sudden, all these funds were going to gold and selling gold. And that's why gold dropped 4% in one day. And that's why the Fed reacted so quickly. The next day, that's when the Fed cut interest rates down to zero and started flooding the market. But, but see, one, one comment to that, that didn't work. Well, let me finish. This is... Uh, to put this in an analogy that everyone can understand, gold dropping 4% in one day because all these funds are panicking and selling off all their gold because they need the cash to basically survive is the equivalent of like a mother chopping off her arm to feed her children because they're starving. Like this is a last last desperate scenario that people only do if things are really, really bad. I hope that's, I know that's kind of a little graphic, I but, but I just want to demonstrate. I don't know if any mother would do that. Yeah. Well, wow. <laughs> or the equivalent of like, you know, mothers starting to like steal from stores because they need food for their children. I've you seen know? mothers kill their husbands and yeah, maybe they'll do that. They say, Hey kids, you hungry? I'm just going to kill this asshole. <laughs> uh, okay. But basically the point is this is a desperation move that they only do if they're desperate. And so that's why the Fed sees that and says, oh my God. So, so what does that mean? That means that there is tons of illiquidity in the market because gold is the last thing people want to sell, but they have to because they're illiquid and they need cash now. And there's always a market for gold. There's always buyers for gold. And so that's why you saw so much gold being sold. So that's when the Fed saw that they said, oh my God, there is so much illiquidity. So that's why they started saying, okay, drop interest rates, pump hundreds of billions, trillions of cash into the markets. We need to move, move, move. So that's why the Fed started doing that. So when I saw gold drop 4% in a day, I said, oh, this is a financial crisis and people don't realize it yet, okay? So that's one reason that this is a financial crisis because there's leverage everywhere. People have been levering up because times have been good for so long and for the past 10 years, Every single time there's been a little dip, it's gone right back up. We've been at all-time highs. We were at all-time highs in February when there were already Apple and other companies issuing guidance saying, hey, earnings are going to be affected because of the coronavirus, and we were still at all-time highs. And so that is why we're going that, into That's what crisis. I said, that uh, the market, or not the market so much, but the U.S. in general didn't react. It was like it was in, they were in, in denial. denial. Because in all the companies were saying Chinese factories were already shut down. Yes. That's when companies started saying it's going to be affecting our our guidance for the rest of the year because we're not manufacturing anything in China anymore. We started seeing that with the e-commerce clients as well. And then the market was just going up and going up and going up like, oh, that's not going to affect us. It's like that was the biggest mistake. Yeah. So, so that's number one. Now, that is directly uh, basically being caused by the virus because the virus caused this panic, which basically, like I said, when the shore goes out, you can see who's naked. All of these funds who were levered up were naked. And all of a sudden they had nowhere to go. So they ran to gold and started selling off gold. That's number one. Other factors that are happening that are not quite as related to the virus, uh, the, the one that is not correlated at all, but is still going to have major effects is oil. And this is something that traders have been paying a lot of attention to, but the general population, I think, has no idea what's going on right now with oil. Oil is at its lowest since the 90s and may even go lower. Okay. And what does that mean? Because you said something that I think a lot of Americans think that is not true anymore. That, okay, when oil drops, it's actually good for the consumer because they spend less money on gas. They have more money in their pocket. Long term. Here's why that's 
that's true, but why the U.S. is hurt by that now. That was true 15 years ago, but not anymore because now the U.S. economy very much relies on oil. That is a huge industry. There's hundreds of thousands of people who work at these U.S. oil companies. And when oil is below 50, 40 a barrel, those companies are not profitable, okay? And so right now when oil is at, I think this morning it was 20, 22 uh, a barrel, these companies are hemorrhaging cash, hemorrhaging cash. And now... To, to, to be clear, they have hedges in place so that they're still selling at the 40, 50 a barrel price, right. but that those hedges only last for three, but six months. But don't you months. think that offsets the fact that, like I said, when obviously it, 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 when oil, when gas prices go down, people will drive. I mean, the economy improves a lot. People no. start buying. Well, no. let me let me. It's been proven before because the oil crisis already happened a few years ago when it went down to 30 and 40, and then they said, okay, it's never going to go, go back to 150. So that's when people start realizing, oh, I can buy another big car. I can know uh, automakers were making more money. They were ba going back to selling big trucks and all the stuff. People yeah, were going on more. No. So, so there's a, I understand that part of the oil companies and employment, everything related to that going down, but the other consumers are actually compensating for that right, because they're the, actually the driving net more. Effect is very net negative. There is a small boost to consumers, but there is a massive loss when hundreds of thousands of people lose their jobs and huge companies like Occidental, which is one of the biggest oil companies, basically goes out of business, okay? Because they literally cannot afford to sell oil at less than like $50 a barrel. And right now it's at 20. That's, they're out of business, okay? And so that, if, unless oil goes up, which it's not going to happen. It's not going to go back to 50 a barrel. People are crazy. In fact, there's projections that it may go to like 15 or below. And if that happens, the U.S. oil market is destroyed. And that's exactly what Russia and Saudi Arabia want. Because the U.S. in the last decade has become the second largest oil producer in the world behind Saudi Arabia. Even more than Russia, more than Iran, more than all these countries, more than Venezuela. The U.S. is the second largest. And they want to push the U.S. out of the market. So that's why Russia and Saudi Arabia are doing this. They say, fuck it. We don't care. We're just going to um, pump. I'm not so oil. sure about the theory. I think I think actually Saudi Arabia checked with the U.S. as far as not agreeing with Russia on the uh, on the oil prices and said, "Okay, you guys run your show, we run our show," and then they're having this dispute between them. But I think I have the feeling that Saudi Arabia did check with the U.S. because they want to fuck Russia, basically. That's my theory. Not not so much that Saudi Arabia and and, and Russia were kind of coalescing or, or working together to screw the U.S. I don't uh, think they were production. working together. No, Russia and Saudi Arabia are definitely not working together. Right. They're at odds, but they're both the enemy of of my enemy is my friend, and that is the case in, in this yes, case. Yes, but I think when the OPEC countries, specifically two major producers, which is Saudi Arabia and Russia, were trying to limit the production of oil or number of barrels per day, and they didn't agree, then Saudi Arabia said, fuck it, we're just going to produce as much as we can. Yeah. And then the oil Saudi prices Arabia. went down. But before they did that, I, I, I can almost guarantee, and I don't have any sources, that they didn't do that on their own because Saudi Arabia and the U.S. are very tight. And, uh, uh, they are and they aren't. They are and they aren't. We, but we are when it's convenient for Saudi oh, exactly, Arabia. Exactly. But when it's not. No, we're, we are for some of the things. And they have big investments in the U.S. And, and I mean, there's, we can go back many years to, to see the tides. But uh, I, I have a hard time believing that they did this. Uh, that they didn't at least not consult, but at least let the U.S. say, hey, this is happening. And then if this happens, then they, Saudi Arabia doesn't give a fuck. 
but, yeah, but that's they're screwing up Russia. It and it's the same thing that happened with Venezuela. Venezuela basically went bankrupt because when the previous the, the previous crisis, the oil prices were so right. down that Venezuela couldn't afford what was going on. Right. And then the country basically was but in disarray. What, what I'm saying is, obviously, Venezuela was worse because their whole economy was on exactly. oil. The U.S. economy is not based on oil. But oil has become, and this is what a lot of the general population does not realize, oil has become a major part of the U.S. economy. And there are going to be, if the oil prices stay like this, if they go back up in six months, then it'll be okay. But if they stay like this, which right now all signs look like it is going to stay below 30 a barrel, definitely below 40, that's for sure, that this will have major impacts on the U.S. economy. And so that's another factor. Okay, so those are two factors. Leverage, oil. Number three, currencies. Okay, the U.S. dollar is getting very, very strong right now. And that is not good in the long term. It's good in the sense that U.S. can now buy goods from other countries at a cheaper price. But as you know, that hurts U.S. exports a lot. And right now we are in a demand crisis because of the coronavirus. Obviously, the coronavirus has basically made demand drop out of the blue, basically. All of a sudden, demand has totally dropped in the United States. So the last thing we want is foreign demand for our products to drop, and that's exactly what's happening. But I think... The euro... Let me finish. Let me finish. The euro... It's a long one. <laughs> ...is now a dollar... Well, it's because there's a lot of factors, and this is why I think it's a financial crisis, not just a temporary setback. The euro is down to a dollar five conversion. I don't know if you saw that today. It's mm, down... It was a dollar nine. It's a dollar five today, dollar six, right around there, and basically, that's the euro. The but, pound but that's is being affected also because of the European Central Bank and the British right, Central Bank and the American Fed. They've been lower interest rates, and that's affecting. It's causing this huge fluctuation. But, right, with but the dollar exchange. is strengthening across the board against all the global currencies. Against the pound, which used to be a dollar forty, a dollar fifty, is now a dollar fifteen. Versus the Canadian dollar, it's now like sixty cents to the US dollar. I mean, the US dollar is incredibly strong right now and it's only going up because, and this is the one benefit for the US versus other countries is that when things get bad, capital flight happens in droves. For those who don't know what capital flight is, capital flight is basically, if you're a wealthy person in another country, you probably don't trust your government, your currency, whatever, your own markets. So you send money to a safe haven. The U.S. is always that safe haven. And so the benefit to the U.S. is that in crises like these, we saw it in the last recession. We're right. going to see it, it again. Brings money that from all the money from all these <clears throat> countries where all these rich people say, hey, I might be a Chinese rich person, but I'm going to spend all my money in the U.S. I'm going to invest in U.S. real estate, U.S. stocks, all of these right. things, U.S. bonds. Same thing with Europe. It happens happens all the time. So capital flight benefits the US because the US is the strongest economy. Even though we are weak, everybody else is weaker. You know, It's kind of like the uh, last man standing type thing. So even though the US might be weakening, the rest of the world is going to be in real trouble. So we will benefit from capital flight, but that also strengthens the dollar okay. even more. So you have all of these factors happening at once. On top of the fact, you just have incredible uncertainty of how soon this virus will last. We don't know if it'll be another four weeks or another eight weeks. Every extra week that it lasts in the U.S. is another, uh, I don't know, yeah, half it's a, a percent it's a, it's of unemployment. It's a hemorrhage of, uh, of uh, GDP, uh, for so, sure. Yes, and um, I was going to say, GDP, Q1 already negative 4%. That's, a, that's terrible. Q2 estimations came out yesterday. They estimate that the U.S. GDP will shrink by 
15% in Q2 year over year. That has not happened. Well, I understand that. Ever. But Even uh, in the Great Depression, it didn't go down I understand, much. David. But uh, I wanted to kind of uh, also wrap it up. Not, not wrap it up, but just kind of summarize a little bit. We're talking all these things that are happening. So uh, the reason I said it was going to take a little bit for me to talk is because there's a lot of things going on that are have been under the service for a while that are very important to understand if you want to see what is going to happen in the future. And basically, my point is uh, you have all of these ha things happening at once. And because they're all happening at once, there is so much uncertainty. Nobody has any idea what's going to happen. And then on top of that, you have this virus that all those other things were happening already. And this virus just compounded. But let me tell you, let me ask you something. We've seen that pouring money into the economy like the Fed has been doing for the last couple of weeks hasn't helped. As far as the reaction, the market doesn't react to that. Yes, the market I, I react, do think it will help. Well, let me let me state a point now. The market doesn't react to money when there's not a money problem. Money only solves money problems. That that's always the case. When you don't have a money problem, money doesn't necessarily solve a money problem. It'll help recover faster once you recover the core of the problem, which is in this case the coronavirus. So when the Fed lower interest rates overnight without notice by 50 basis points to basically one, one basic 0.25 or zero, like you said, lower than ever, the market actually reacted negatively because they said, okay, yeah, we have all this money, but it doesn't help you if people cannot leave their homes. Then they say, okay, we're going to put all this other money into the economy. We're going to buy debt. We're going to do this. They're putting all this and it's not helping. Now, the moment that the news becomes, okay, we're getting a good grip on the coronavirus, we're developing a vaccine that might be ready in six to eight months, we're starting to do human testing with this and that, all those news prop the market. Because right now, it is not an economic problem today. And, and the market reacts to, when is this coronavirus going to end? Then we can deal with everything else. But flooding the market with money as is happening in Europe. I mean, the European Central Bank just decided to spend $700 billion buying debt. The ECB today yeah, exactly. said, she said, the head of the ECB said, uh, something, I, I, it, almost exactly this quote, she said, there is no limit to what we will do. Right. No limit. Yes. And, she, and we'll print that, a, Two trillion yes, euros we're going to print as to. much money as we need to. We're going to give all these things, all this carte blanche to all the markets, all the different uh, central banks from each country. And it still is not really helping because when it's an economic crisis and people need money, yeah, give us more money. What happened to Greece a few years ago when it was causing the next big economic crisis? They said, oh my God, they're going to be bankrupt. All the money that is in Greece right now, they're going to leave the European Union and all that stuff. Guess what? It was a money issue. And then it was solved. They bailed out Greece and all that stuff, and it was taken care of. Now, this is different because money, if, if I'm sick and you tell me, hey, I'm going to give you a million dollars, yeah, that's great, but what the fuck do I do with a million dollars if I'm dying? That's not where it's going to help me. Now, if you're telling me, hey, I came out with this vaccine that I'm going to inject, in, inject you, you know, tomorrow, are you going to be super healthy? That fucking helps. Then you can give me the million dollars, and I'm going to live like a champ. But in the meantime, I just need to get well. And that's okay. what's happening right but, now, that we don't have an economy that is healthy because people are not healthy and people are not spending, people are scared, people are in their homes. They don't know what the fuck to do. My point is, you would be right if, if it was just the virus, but the Fed had been acting responsibly for years and companies had not yes. been doing all these yes. buybacks and extreme financialization. Yes, this then has you exposed, would be right. that's exposed that. So, and accelerated something that maybe would have happened, like we exactly. said, after the elections. What, what I'm but it wouldn't is, have been so sudden. There would have been signs. No, it wouldn't have been so sudden. Right. But, but I'm saying that 
that this was going this recession that I think we're going to go through right now would have happened within the next few years anyways but instead but no, it's so, happening now yes but it wouldn't have happened so suddenly with everything no, all together but it also because it's not going to go Fed, back up very suddenly the Fed either. was being um uh, I would say like irresponsible. No, 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 no. But yeah, obviously. But he was being pushed by Trump yes. to lower rates, and then he gave in, and then he lowered rates by twenty-five basis points, huh? another twenty-five basis points, and we still had like one point five, or you know. And then all of a sudden, he just slashed the rates so completely. So the Fed would have said, "said Oh well, inflation was under control, unemployment is all-time low." So all those things are making basically the rates go up, not down. And Trump obviously wanted to the economy before the elections and they were saying oh the Fed should be with that every country is doing it we need to have stronger currency and all that and now basically all these things have happened now so my thing is what ammunition is the Fed going to have down the road let me let me give you an analogy that I think will illustrate for a lot of people it's like the world the central banks were throwing a big house party okay and it was great and it was fun but house parties can only last so long by the time you get to 5, 6 a.m., guess what? The sun's coming up, the party's over, okay? And the sun was going to come up at 6 a.m. Whether the, the There's nothing the Fed could do about it, okay? And so the sun was going to come up at 6 a.m. anyways. And 6 a.m. was coming within the next couple of years. But what happened, this virus is like the cops showing up at 2.30 a.m. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the party got cut short. So even if the party maybe would have lasted yeah. a few more hours and people would have had a fun time for a few more hours, it would have ended at anyways. But the cops showed up at 3 a.m. and cut it short. And that's what's happening. The virus is the cop showing up at your door and saying, shut it down. That's yes. my point. So the party is over. And I I wish it wasn't All right, so true, let me let me ask you. But it's true. Well, what do you think? I said that I think the economy Was that will, a good analogy? I thought that was pretty you know, good. I think mine was better with me being sick and giving me money when the money is not going to take me, care of my sickness. Like, I'm laying down in bed dying and all the money in the world, which is true. I mean, no, there's but that's like, No, that's true. But I'm know. saying... I'm talking about the longer term because this virus, worst case, let's say it's terrible, terrible, terrible. Okay, maybe it takes till September to fix. Okay? But... We'll get past the virus. My of point course. is there were other, there's many other economic yes, but that's, things that were under the surface that have been revealed now that are right, rearing their economic, ugly heads. But the problem is, or the, the, the difference is that we've gone through economic crises before. We knew, I mean, this is the longest time we've had between recessions, which is already a record, okay? We were 10 plus years and people were saying, okay, everybody's announcing, oh, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Well, it's not coming. Okay, and then people say, okay, it's definitely not going to come to the U.S. before the elections for the reasons that we know. So, but we know it's coming. We, we, I mean, there's no market without recessions. You need to have peaks and valleys, but those are known things and there's instruments and tools in place to fight a recession and, um, um, and deal with it. But there's The problem not. is that there's no situation in place to fight this pandemic as it's proven. Like people are reacting rather than preventing. And we're still today with... We're actually seeing what's happening to countries that are behind. Like European countries are reacting now, and we will not know how effective this is probably for another two or three weeks when they have this. Uh, Spain is basically for two weeks confined. France is the same thing. England is the same thing. They ban travel between uh, from the U from the U.S. to Europe and from the Europe to the U.S. I mean, basically, all the borders are closed. They're basically shutting down everything. And we're not going to see the effects of this for another two weeks. Again, it's going to flatten the curve, but it's not going to happen like tomorrow if the cases are down. No, people that are infected today, half of the people don't even know it. 
until they're going to show the signs of infection. And then they probably realize, uh, you know, I didn't know I was infected, but probably I infected 20 other people, which at the same time infected 20 other people. So all that's basically why yes. the social distance is so, required. That's what I'm saying. This virus has caused mass uncertainty. Right. And has, has basically, like I said, it's the cops showing up at 3 a.m. instead of the party ending anyways. The party was going to end anyways. It's been 11, 12 years. Okay, yes, was by, not by, by going to go analogy, forever. I can say, okay, the, the cop can come and say this and that. And then once they leave, it's like, okay, party's over, but we go back to normal before the party okay okay uh, I, I don't mean it so literally but i mean okay, it like well, i'm trying said, to give an analogy you say it's a good analogy yeah but, i but mean I, fed, get, I get pulled over by a cop and it says okay you were speeding and i didn't get caught, caught for like 10 times now this one i got i got a ticket whatever yeah but eventually Fine. guess what and you get caught once I go back. you gotta take it twice i take it but you get caught 10 times they're just gonna yeah. take your license away okay well let's just leave the cops alone because they're busy these days okay but, uh, so the, let me uh, the the you talk about the fed Okay, and everybody's been saying this. It's it's the Fed is running out of ammo. The Fed is going I, I agree. full I agree. Rambo mode, just double wielding machine no, guns. No, just the Fed. All, just all the European everything. central banks, they, every, every every central bank, Japan, every every they major are, central bank. They are they're flooding they're the out economies of bullets. with money. <laughs> the analogy I used the other day was they're like the last guy alive into the trench, out of bullets, and now they're just lobbing grenades, hoping that it stops the enemy okay but they're running out of bullets all right well, where are we going to go negative rates okay but well, well that's happening in europe for a while but um, let me ask you so so i think the uh curing or finding a solution or to control the virus not to cure it but to control it and to have the situation under control like we do with many other diseases it will stop the, the key, mass volatility is the key to the recovery not so much the money into the market, but and that's why I think that recovery will probably be recovery. Not that we're gonna go back overnight to skyrocket or record share or record market or anything or normal economy. I mean, it'll take time because obviously you have a big wound and we're all bleeding now. But I think it'll be faster than if it was a financial crisis. But so what? What is your time frame to say? Okay, let's say this becomes the, the the coronavirus becomes under control globally. Like let's let's assume that China has it under control with no new cases, Taiwan, Korea, and all that stuff. And then let's say that Europe starts getting under control. And then hopefully in the U.S. we we'll still have the worst to come. Really, if you look at the experience. But if let's let's say that are... we that we control this, and then by let's say July, August, yeah, we okay. start seeing things under control. I think when do you think so I think the the mass volatility we're seeing right now is because of the virus that's why things are shooting up 10% right. one Obviously. day down 10 the next that's the the volatility I think that volatility will be dampened once we have a clear path to okay this is what it's going to be for the next 8 weeks but then we'll be out of this okay so that the volatility will be dampened but that does not mean that the markets will start going back up or that the economy will start going back up, right? They're projecting anywhere from 10 to 20% unemployment because of this. You're going to have lots of businesses go out of business. This is where I don't know what the yet the full fiscal response of the government will be in the United States and around the world of exactly what they're going to do. They start handing out checks. They start giving businesses no interest rate or super low interest loans to keep in business. It's hard to tell right now. Those things will help. But 
what was building up for years was a sovereign debt crisis, meaning instead of like the previous crisis where you had the banks being in trouble and personal uh, consumers being in debt with mortgages and all that stuff, right now you have a sovereign debt crisis, which means the governments are in debt. And what this is doing, this virus, is causing all the governments who are already in trouble with debt to go way deeper into debt. I mean, even Mnuchin the other day said the deficit is absolutely not a concern right now. And I'm not saying he's wrong. Obviously, the deficit doesn't matter if you don't have a country, okay? But uh, my point is we were already building up this sovereign debt crisis, and this virus has caused every country in the world, every central bank, to now have to double down on their sovereign debt. That is the problem. That is the problem. And that all of the central banks are completely running out of bullets. And that's why I think this is a financial crisis and that we will not see... I, I think that by July, August, the volatility due to the virus will go away or be dampened quite a bit, but that we're not going to just see the market start going back up again. Well, they will go back up. I mean, it's just... It's just not not within the next... I don't think the markets go back up within the next 12 months. Absolutely not. The next what? 12 months? Yeah. No. I think that's excessive. I think I think, I, I think as soon as the virus is under control, the market will start stabilizing and then people will be fearing to miss missing out. I mean, it's the same thing that happened before with, with the previous recession. The market went down from 16,000 to 8,000. Uh, it's like, oh my God, this is the end of the world. And guess what? It was at 30,000 just a years later. So that's a big, big increase. But that's because... And everybody that's, that's sitting on the silence. That's because it was propped up. And that's my well, point. Yeah, it's going to happen. The same thing is going to happen now. No, I mean, you, you say unemployment is 20%. Unemployment is 20% temporarily because everybody has to shut down. If if I have a restaurant and I had to lay off, lay off my 10 employees because I can't even have patrons in my restaurant, fine. But hopefully I can survive shutting but down I think and then I can rehire everybody back in, restaurants, in three, four months. Restaurants are a good example where I think the unemployment will actually be sustained, unfortunately. And here's why. Because there are already, there's certain indexes that track restaurants and we were already at all-time highs for restaurants. There's too many restaurants. Basically, the restaurant business is very volatile. It's very difficult. And there were already that's too... A, that's a, yeah, that's another discussion. Well, there were already too many restaurants. And so now the the truth is just a lot of restaurants are going to go out of business. But and that's fine. That's just basically survival yes, of the fittest. But I don't think that we're just going to go straight back to having all-time highs of restaurants. So that means that there's going to be a lot of people who work in restaurants right now who are thinking, who may be thinking, okay, I'm going to be screwed for the next two, three months because my waitress job or whatever is gone. But guess what? That restaurant's going out of business and it's not coming back. And that's my point. It's not that all of a sudden, if 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 twenty percent of the country's restaurants just go out of business, it's not that they're all just going to reopen in in three months. No, that's just basically. And so all those people are going to be out of jobs. Demand. Of course, it's supply and demand. It's no different than the small retailer that is being absorbed by the big box back then, and then the big box is now in trouble with Amazon. It's just evolution of the economy of the ways to buy and the where people live. It's no different than right, but television I'm television advertising sudden, being down because now everybody's doing streaming. I mean, that's just evolution. Ten twenty percent. Unemployment, unemployment will not last, I don't think. But if we go back to six, seven, which I think is very, very possible from when we were below three for years, and then we're back at six, seven, and it's not going down, that majorly hurts the economy. And that's what I think is going to happen. I don't think we'll have 20% unemployment. No, temporarily maybe, but we're not going to have sustained 20% unemployment. But could we have six, seven, eight? Yeah, I think so. I okay. Well, that that's just. Um, I mean, we can go back and forth. I I think I'm I'm more optimistic. I think this is a 
yes, it will that, trigger a financial crisis. There's massive crisis. opportunities. Like I said, the optimism, of if, course. You, if you're in the U.S., like I said, is that the U.S. benefits because we're the strongest economy. So even if we're, even if the U.S. isn't doing great, we're still going to be doing better than everybody else. So capital flight will come here. So that's the benefit of being in the U.S. Now, if you're in Europe, I'd be scared right now. I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, I, I wanted to put this on record. I know you disagree with this. I don't think the EU is going to make it to 2030. I think we'll see countries start leaving. Uh, I just don't think it's sustainable. And I think we're going to see that within the next decade. Put it on record so that in six years from now, when France leaves the EU, we have it on record. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it, there's tremendous opportunity, just like in any downturn. Of course. There's always opportunity. But what I'm saying is I think that this will be a bigger downturn than a lot of people are thinking it will be. And that we are definitely not going to see some V-shaped or U-shaped straight back up. Oh, it's fine. Virus gone. No, because there were things, like I said, this was supposed to happen in two years, but it's happening now instead. Yeah, well, I, I, I disagree partially, not with everything that you said, but I think the, the economy, I mean, right now, this is something that we haven't seen before. Like, sports are off. There's nothing on television to watch other than just basically watching bad news. I mean, EU watch normal travel television. and hospitality is yes. 10% of global of course, GDP, and right. that is wiped out right now. That's in this country, That's going to have, yes. no, globally. Yeah. It's about 10%. I mean, that's going to have massive impacts. Right. But, but by the same token, when this is over and it goes back to normal, it's going to be a massive influx of people that are just cannot wait to, to basically travel, go out to restaurants, go out to movie theaters, go out to sporting events, all the stuff. that they, it's, like, it's like you're in jail for like one year because you basically, for something you didn't do, and then all of a sudden they said, okay, you are out of jail now, and you just fucking live a life, okay? So multiply that times 7 billion but people on the planet. But not if people don't have money. Uh, what? They're going to have money. That's the thing, because they're they are home now. A lot now. of people don't. Yes. Because well, a lot of people are getting laid off or okay, furloughed without yeah, pay. Yeah, that's fine. Well, they will be laid off. No, because there's going to be an employment extension and that stuff, so we'll they see. will not have no money. I mean, when you have no money is when you declare bankruptcy, and all of a sudden you get no loans, no nothing. This is not the case. People are not in financial debt. They're not with debt up to their eyeballs. They may be. Well, yes, but this is are. not the yeah of course people have a lot of debt all the time but uh, this is not a situation where the bank says oh no you declare bankruptcy we're not going to be able to give you money you basically have a record now for seven years no this is different this is people are laid off because the company said hey we need to shut down or furloughs or, or whatever it is and it's like okay but at the same time other people that keep their jobs or are keeping a normal lifestyle they're not going out they're not going into dinner so they're keeping more money in their pockets they're not even driving for Christ's sake well so so I think that's my situation or my position to say hey I've been forced to be in jail for like three months and now I'm going to get out and I'm free to do whatever I want and I have this money that I have saving maybe I have saving in my reserve extra funds or whatever I got my salary I spent zero money now I have this money from the government I have loans that are cheap I have all this money, so I'm going to spend it, and I'm going to have my vacation that I want to. Well, one, so, of, one of my fears that this will cause, which I think is pretty inevitable, is I think this will actually increase even more the, the inequality gap that we was already kind of growing. Because, yes, it's true. A lot of people who you know work at jobs that they can work from home and still be productive and they're not going to be laid off and be fine will be fine. Maybe there will be temporary setbacks, maybe some losses of productivity, I don't know, but they'll be fine. But a lot of the people who are lower middle class or even poor who work these waitress, wait, waiter right. jobs, thing, retail jobs, all those jobs, which is like nobody's rich who works those jobs, they're going to be massively un 
impacted. And so I think that well, the, that's why the the income gap is going to increase even more. The the wealth gap, I should that, say. That's a different, yeah, that's a social discussion. But and that has uh, major but if, effects if the too. government sends $1,000 to a person that is being laid off, and they're laid off for like a month or two months. But a thousand is not that much, back. dude. No, I know it's not that much, okay? But they send $1,000 one month. And then another thousand dollars next month. Or all the incentives that they have. Or they delay. They are delaying um, uh, tax returns. You know, you owe money. You have another extra ninety days to pay your debt to the IRS. They are delaying a lot of different things. Mortgages. They cannot enforce paying mortgages. I mean, all those things are being in place to help people deal with the situation. So they have a lot of programs that are helping people. Saying yes, we understand you're going to be making less money, possibly even laid off, and then you can apply for unemployment, and we're going to extend unemployment benefits for you, and we're going to send you this money, we're going to delay the fact that you cannot pay your mortgage and understand it, and we're not, basically, we're going to allow the banks, or we're going to force the banks basically to say, hey, delay your payments, using credit cards also saying, you, we can, you can apply to delay your credit card payments, and you pay us every month, and you have good credit, and all that stuff for 30, 60, 90 days. So all those things are going to help people survive this storm until go, think, go, things go back to normal, and then hopefully things will go back to normal. So I take this as, you know, fuck, I broke my leg, and I have to stay home all day, and I cannot work on this, but then we'll recover. The problem is that we all got sick at the same time. Every company is used to employers, employees being sick with a flu or this or that. You know, this guy is off for a week. The other guy is off for a week. They, off, they tell you, hey, you're sick. Don't come, don't come to work and all that stuff. Now the whole world is sick, which my, is never expected. My point is, if you were, you would be right if we had been fiscally responsible for the last decade. But we haven't been. That's my point. So that's... What I'm saying is that that's why I disagree with you. If, if, if companies and the government had been more responsible for the last decade, I would be much more optimistic right now, but I just think they haven't been. That doesn't mean that, listen, there are lots of opportunities, but I'm just honestly being realistic. I hope I'm wrong, but I'm just being realistic, you know? Well, I think, I think there's definitely a lot of opportunities. Like I said, I, I think this is a health crisis. And, um, and the economic or the financial crisis is the consequence of this. But I think the economy has proven it just in the last two weeks or even more. You go back to the beginning cases that um, even when the, when the American economy or the U.S. economy was ignoring the fact that the virus was already spreading through China and Europe and everything else, the economy in the U.S. was still booming and there was no Fed interaction or nothing. It was just basically working. I think when the virus becomes under control on a global basis and we start seeing that the cases are under control, the, the curve is flattened like we keep saying, um, I think the economy will start recovering. Now, obviously we're in too big, I mean, it's down like now 35% or so from the peak that we had just uh, two, three weeks ago. So is it going to recover right away? No, it's probably not even healthy to recover right away because that will be like a biggest you know, fluctuation and mess up everything. But I think it will go back to... Um, uh, to what it was before at some point. Uh, how fast? I don't know. Well, again, the elections are going to be a big thing that you have into political repercussions and everything else and, and legislation and all that stuff. So yeah, that's if, different. If, if Biden wins, I have no idea what's going to right, happen. Right, exactly. We'll be so, in totally uncharted territory. So, so we have another big uh, question mark of what's going to happen and how Trump now is in a hurry to get this thing solved because he says, okay, uh, before I was ignoring it, now I'm addressing it, and now I need to cure it or solve it as fast as possible. So at least I have a campaign starting July, August, where I can say, hey, we 
fought the things, we blocked the, the borders with China, we, we yeah. fought this thing, we need to be more independent, relentless on China for products because they are the, the enemy and blah, 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 and all that stuff. And then maybe between then and November, he can regain votes that he has lost because all his points were lost. Yeah. But I think there's possibility on this. What do you think? Do you think this is going to, I mean, I really don't know at this point because I, I don't look at it from a political stance. I'm just more looking at it from a... Uh, who's going to win and the probabilities. I really don't know. Some people, I've seen both sides. I've seen some people say, oh, this is going to help Trump. Others saying, oh, this is going to kill his chances. Well, it definitely, it definitely didn't help. Let's just put it that way. Yeah, um, I don't think so either. He, he, wasn't, he was ignoring it because he says, oh, this is a hoax and all that stuff. Especially I, now that the market right. gains since he was elected have been totally wiped right, out. Right, right. Now, in, in his defense, if there's defense or not, and I totally don't care much about one way or the other, but I don't think... Biden or anybody that would have been president now would have done a better job or different job. I mean, you have basically major leaders from all countries, Angela Merkel, Boris Johnson in England, um, Sanchez in Spain, uh, Macron in France. I mean, you have all the major leaders that were Conte um, in Italy. Yeah, so so you have all the major world leaders that were basically causing the same situation and they are fighting it like they can and doing what they can. So they are all playing like Monday morning morning quarterback now trying to fix the situation on something that they could have, should have, would have done, but nobody was ready for this, okay? you Every country w would be more ready for a war than they would be for this. And that's why they're calling now that we're in a war with an invisible um, enemy, enemy yep. which is the virus. Because yeah, if the U.S. is attacked, we're ready. We have a lot of procedures oh, yeah, in I mean, place is, and all that okay what we're doing now i mean martial law right. is made for war that's right. why it's called exactly. martial so, law by so, the way you see that uh uh rubio the other day senator rubio uh no. said uh martial law spelled martial like the name oh like the name yes yeah. dude you're okay. running for president i hope you know what martial law is yeah martial. <laughs> yeah it's like a war that they have uh anyways uh like martial arts um exactly yeah, yeah it's who why do they call it martial <laughs> arts because this guy named marshall uh invented it <laughs> yeah um yeah. So, well, anyways, opportunities. I, I think I think there's there's opportunities. There's lessons to be learned from this. So, I think. I listen, think, listen. If we go through this and we learn that these pandemics may happen. Yes. And not only that, it could be worse. Uh, it, it could be worse. The, the good it could thing be biological this, warfare. This and that's good, a whole different yeah. discussion. Okay, this thing was supposedly involuntary and it, it happened. It was an accident, whatever, and it spread like a. Like a virus, that's the expression. Wow, yeah. wow, amazing. This viral growth. I know. I just think I didn't. You expect think it. there's gonna be people making uh, viral marketing studies yeah, based on uh, coronavirus? I was thinking the other day when people talk about computer virus, they're gonna say like, yeah. "Fuck that." I mean, <laughs> this is not as bad as. But no, I think you always learn from situations like this. And yes, then, the, will we be better prepared next time? I hope so. The fortunate you know. thing is, while the death rate is higher than like a typical flu, the death rate isn't that high compared to what it could be. And kids and young people are not affected, right? Which you know, I've I've read from many virologists. They're like, it's very we're very lucky because most of the time it's like the Spanish flu was kids and old people were dying, mm -hmm. and so if kids were dying, that would be significantly worse. But fortunately, it looks like kids are pretty much immune from it and don't die well, at all. Not only that, I, and I I like to maybe end with a lighter note, but. I was just thinking other social repercussions of the virus and, and, and the situation that everybody's at home now. We're talking about, okay, well, uh, parents, kids, 
children, families, wives, and all that stuff are forced to be home like 24 hours together, which is normally not the case for most families in the world, basically. Well, people are joking there's going to be a epidemic uh, there's going to be an epidemic of divorces happening in well, the next month because people are sick of each other thing, that's one thing couples i think i think after this you're going to really know if you love each other or yeah, not exactly after this the 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 living together 24 hours with uh, your significant other is going to really put a test on, on on couples and marriages and things like that so who knows maybe the divorce rate will increase in after this but there's also the other point which is the uh, birth rate will also yeah, increase we'll because I don't know if the social distance applies to couples, but probably not. So, um, well, people are going to be bored. So. Yeah, exactly. Lots of time at home. You can only watch so much TV. And then you spend time with your wife at home, and you're supposed to be working from home, quote unquote. And then who knows? Maybe in nine months, we'll have a lot of. Uh, We're going to have a lot of Corona babies. Yeah, Corona babies, exactly. Except before Corona babies were people getting drunk and having yeah, babies. So and now it's we, Corona Instead of the baby babies. boomers, we're going to have the, uh, the baby Corona babies now in nine months, which is good because. Gen C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> World War Z. And in addition to that, we're going to basically boost the economy because our labor force was getting old. We're becoming an old country. We're becoming an old world overall. I mean, Italy basically is very old and, and we are not generating or replacing the labor force. Social security is bankrupt because for every one person that retires or two people that retire, there's only one that replaces them in the workforce. So, so I think with extra babies, we're going to have a better social security in the future, which means the government will have more money, which means the economy will recover. So I think that's a micro, micro long-term view of my... I uh, think one good thing for, especially because I know a lot of people listen to this, are e-com people. Uh, I wrote this in my newsletter this week, Silver Line. I had a section that was Silver Linings. Excuse me. And then one of them was that, you know, e-com kind of was linearly growing every year. Basically, as a percentage of total consumer spending, e-com is still less than 15%. As much as of a big deal it's been, it's still just under 15%. Uh, and this, I mean, Instacart reported that in New York, Washington, Oregon, basically the places that were seriously affected, they had 20x average order volume, right. which was crazy. Right. That's what um, and so I think for e-com, this will grow the e-com space much more because people are buying much more e-com right now. I mean, Amazon is totally overfilled with everything right now. Mm -hmm. They can't even, uh, they, they shut down FBA to non-essential items because they literally can't fulfill. They're hiring 100,000 temp workers. Could you imagine yeah. hiring 100,000 people in a week? Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how they I can't do it hire because, one I mean, person in a week working, without having headaches and hiring 100,000 people. This would be a good time for Amazon to... Um, automate or robotize their warehouses so they don't have so many workers you know actually wow, doing that. No, but you, that takes time you can't yeah, automate know, know, right now I know. I know. but so the the benefit to e-com companies is i think that this is going to accelerate the growth of e-com and i think it will be sustained i don't think that the e-com growth is just going to drop off after this goes away though i don't expect the growth to stay as it's been growing in the last two months don't expect that obviously but i think that if all of a sudden we jump from 15 to 20 percent of, of consumer spending, I think that may stay yeah. and that'll accelerate the growth. So if you're an e-com, that's a silver lining you can look at that even if the overall economy may be kind of worsening, that your industry is going to be strengthening. Yeah, I was kind of wondering the other day what's going to happen with uh, Amazon Prime that is usually in July or June, July. Oh, Prime Day? Prime Day, yeah. I have no idea. Yeah, they haven't said anything about that, but that's like the um, the still Black, a ways away. The, the we'll Black see. Friday of the mid year, and then obviously we, in China they have the uh, Singles Day or whatever, which is also the biggest day. So that's not till November. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see what happens with all that. I mean, definitely Prime Day, which is like a summer 
shopping spree and all Do that. You still, let's talk sports for a second. Let's end on a lighter note. The NBA said that their goal is mid to late June start. You think they're going to hit every, that? Every sports league and major event. Um, like, do you think the Olympics are going to happen? Well, according to them, they're still planning on it, but obviously they can plan whatever they want. It's just a You know, of, the uh, not the head of the IOC, the head of the... Or the, I'm sorry, the the vice president of the Japanese Olympic Coalition got the virus. Yeah. yeah. Oh, did he? Yeah. 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 I mean, it's it's that's gonna be tricky. I, I don't know. I mean, I think all the sporting events are definitely canceled or pushed off. And um, over under uh, July first for NBA season starting. Stuff. It's tough because also the the thing is that you cannot just say, okay, players will go back to playing on full speed. You know, these players need a little bit yeah, of a warm up. I, I mean, they're going to have a lot of injuries if they just go back on full well, speed. So they're going to have a lot say, of little preseason or something. I assume if they, they say back. July 1st, that maybe by June 1st, they start practicing again mm-hmm. and they're totally isolated. I don't think there's going to be fans, but they'll be right. totally isolated. They can play on the courts. I hope so, just because I think, I think people, people will need feel better. Yeah, entertainment and something right. to look at. You know, right. like I love. It's so funny because you know I'm a big basketball fan, and one of my kind of habits and routines is like, you know, at night I'm used to like, oh, what game is on? And literally the last two nights, every night around like six o'clock, it's because it's like my habit. I'll be like, because I'd like to, you know, I'll work late and then I'll have like a basketball game on, and it's like. I swear to God, like three nights in a row for like a half second. I'm like, oh, what game is on tonight? Or like I'm a Suns fan. I'm like, oh, are the Suns playing tonight? For like half a second, I'm like, oh. I know. It's yeah. The same, it's, it's the same There's thing. There's no games. I mean, I'm, I'm more of a race fan and I do the same thing. I mean, this week, last weekend was supposed to be the Australian GP, which was canceled. This weekend, uh, tomorrow, today, tomorrow, we're supposed to start with the Bahrain GP was also canceled. Basically, the whole Formula One season has been postponed. Um, they just announced today that Monaco, Barcelona, and Holland all suspended too. So who knows? They probably start in June, July. Uh, I mean, nothing is going on as far as sports anywhere. I mean, the European Soccer Championship is postponed until next year, until 2021. Le Mans, the 24 hours is in June. Now it's postponed to September. Uh, the French Open tennis also suspended. I think it'll be good for morale of the people, of the populace. That's what I'm saying. Because that I, people, if people start seeing sports happen again, it's like hope. It's like, okay, that's things the main are getting thing. back to that's normal. That's the main thing. That's where I think that once all this is like in maybe two, three months, we see life going back to normal, people are going to come out like like an stampede. Like, okay, like I always have this image of kids like kindergarten or something where you're in the classroom and they say, okay, kids, this is a uh, playtime or whatever yeah. or break. And they're all like, whoa, they go running on, and it's going to be like that. So hopefully it will be like that. Um, this being a long one, I think we uh, expanded too much with uh, all these um, implications, but I just basically, I mean, David and I talk about this stuff all the time and, and we just wanted to share our thoughts with all of you guys. So uh, of course your input is always welcome. We, we appreciate your comments on YouTube, uh, personal, whatever. Uh, oh, no. and by the way, subscribe because yeah, we get a lot of people who watch them all the time, but then they don't subscribe, so it's hard to tell. So just subscribe. Yeah, I mean, I, I, if you have any questions for us or things that are um, you know uh, f- related to what we're talking about, please just send us an email. Subscribe, put a note. We do read the comments for the most part. Obviously, the ones that are not civilized, we don't give a shit about. But you are a civilized person. Leave a coherent comment. We're going to look at it, like it, not like it, reply to you. Um, we do this just because we want to share with you all of our ideas. And um, we are basically entrepreneurial people. And uh, we like to see how things affect and sometimes find the other side of things. That I know I had a, a, long, the news. a long rant. Uh 
I would be very curious if anybody has uh, thoughts on what I said. If you disagree about any of the the reasoning I give, I'd be very open to hearing. I just think we're in uncertain times. I just oh, think that yeah. that's well, that's why there's so much volatility. Volatility happens because of uncertainty. Right. Because if you if you have a strong idea of what's going to happen, then there's much less fluctuation. This because is definitely um, nobody knows. This is a movie that we don't know. Uh, anything about the plot and we don't even know how it's going to end and we're all kind of trying to guess so uh, hopefully you'll have a happy ending and uh, we'll be uh, watching it you know in the it, future it definitely will have a happy ending obviously you know life goes on there's been the depression was terrible but guess what we, we've right, moved on right. so it's not so much a question of is this the end? No, of course it's not the end. It's just more of a question of that we're debating of like, how long will this last? Right. Will it be six months? Will it be years? That's the thing that... And that's what I like to discuss probably for another podcast is how are we preparing now for whenever this ends? Because a lot of people have a difficult time seeing beyond what's happening today. Yeah, I just hope. And I think it's important to take this time to plan on, okay, let me just close my eyes, fast forward two, three months, whatever it takes, and then life is kind of going back to normal. Am I going to be behind because I didn't prepare to this stampede that I call of consumers being ready, whether it's a hotel saying, hey, book for just stay in the fall or whatever with a special offer, luxury right today, or uh, department stores, e-commerce, whatever industry you're in, you need to think as if this will end in the next two, three months, whatever time frame you have, and then just plan for the future because if you don't do it and the consumer is ready to go and you are not there in that race, they will go somewhere else and then when you add up the customer lifetime value and all these other metrics that we normally count on, you're going to lose that consumer and you need to be there to grab him right first, you know, because... Um, uh, yeah, just, we talk about just, lifetime value. I think everybody's lifetime value metrics these past two weeks got totally thrown out the window. Well, of course, but they will come back and that's what you need to do. You need to secure the consumer now. It's just... Uh, it's, like, it's like buying a house. I mean, people don't buy houses every day, but when you are there and you are ready to buy a house and you feel confident you have the money, all the stuff, and you buy the house, you're not there, then forget it. It's not like the one company is going to beat the other company. I mean, you only buy a house every maybe once in a lifetime, you know, or buying a car or buying anything. So it's the same thing for any kind of industry. I don't care if it's booking a vacation, uh, getting a flight to whatever. Southwest Airlines has been sending emails to me all the time. I'm a... I'm a what you call a frequent flyer or whatever. And I get this offer saying, hey, we're suffering this and that. We hopefully you're healthy and all that stuff. But for now, you book this rate today for whenever you travel in the fall, you have a $49 trip or something. It's like, oh, wow, that's a smoking deal. You, you know? know, one industry that's doing amazingly well right now that I just thought about is uh, lawyers. Lawyers are oh, like, yeah. all these fees. contracts and force majeure and they're like trying to figure, they're getting, yeah. they're like, oh my God, we're yeah. having a heyday right now. It's a good time to be a yeah. lawyer. And yeah, yeah, exactly. And working for insurance companies yeah. and what is covered, what is not and all that stuff. So, all right, guys. Well, thank you for listening. You've listened safe. to us to all the way to the end. Uh, congratulations. Thank you very much for your um, um, interest. And um, just remember this podcast brought to you by MGR Agency. You can find us at mgragency.com. That's our main job. We are an agency, a production company, and a digital marketing agency. And um, any questions for me or David, just send us an email. Uh, find us on YouTube. Uh, social media, any any other source. The subscription for the email is um, mgredge. mgredge.com slash join. Join. It'll be in the description. It'll be there. All right. Just click on it. All right. Well, thank you very much. And we'll talk to you again next week. Thank you. Bye-bye.